good to see each one tonight. I realize that many people are concerned, but it's good to see each of you here. And I'm glad everyone has a spiritual interest in heart. And tonight we're going to study a lesson, What is Your Excuse? We have become a nation of excusers. It seems that no one is responsible for anything. Those who, for instance, may go and use guns and kill numerous people at various locations are no longer considered to be the ones responsible. It's, you have to find an explanation for it. You have to find an excuse for that. Uh, there's a constant search for the causes for someone's bad behavior, for an opportunity to assign blame to someone else. You know, the proverbial student goes to school and where's your homework, Johnny? The dog ate it. I lost it. I don't know where it's at. Or a man goes to work and the boss says to him, where were you yesterday? You didn't show up for work. Oh, I had this excuse, that excuse, whatever. And then a person begins to say, I'm sorry, all these debts that I have, uh, I didn't have enough money to be able to pay my debts. Is it a reason or is it an excuse? Did I have a choice? If I have a choice, then it is an excuse. If I have the ability to say I could do something, but I don't do it, then I'm trying to excuse myself. Well, this evening, here's what I would like for us to do in our lesson. I'd like for us to look at the Bible, some examples of excuse makers. There are so many of them. We can't look at them all, but we want to pull out some of them that have used excuses to try to say, I did or did not do this for whatever reason. Then I'd like for us to spend a little bit of time in Luke chapter 14, the passage that Brother David read for us. There's some great lessons found within it. And then finally to end up with some embracing some responsibility. For us to be able to say, I have to own what I have done. And then to give an account for that. And where I need to make changes, there I ought to make them. Let's begin, first of all, at some examples of excuse makers. And many people have tried to excuse their behavior. And let's just begin, first of all, with Adam. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, you will notice that Adam, when called to account before God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me to the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Do you realize that Adam would not own up to the responsibility of what choice he made? In fact, if you start looking, you'll see a lot of Adam saying, Lord, it's your fault you gave me the woman. The woman said, it's not my fault, it's the serpent who deceived me. Well, go with me a little bit further to Genesis chapter 12. And as you begin to look at verses 11 through 20, you'll remember the event that occurred when Abraham went down to Egypt. 
And he was concerned because of the beauty of Sarah. And it says, there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt and dwelt there for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Or you can even go a little bit further to chapter 20 when he was before Abimelech and he did exactly the same thing. He is excusing his behavior by saying, it's not my fault. I don't have to be responsible for this. You see, he tried to excuse his deception. And the reason is being, I'm afraid they're going to take my life. He operated by situation ethics, self-preservation, technicality. And when he answered, he said, truly she is my sister, but she's also my wife. You see the technicality of his deception. Excuse after excuse after excuse. But then you come to Moses. And you come to Exodus chapter 3 and Moses is ready, but he doesn't realize it. God calls him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He calls him to go and appear before Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses begins in chapter 3 and verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses is not content here again. He says, he says, and then he says, well, who will I say that sent me? And then he says, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. But that's not where he stops. You keep going to chapter 4, verse 1. And then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And then you get down to verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since have you spoken, since you have spoken to your servant. But I am of a slow speech and a slow tongue. And then you get to the final one in verse 13 where he says, Oh, Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He says, Lord, please get somebody else. I don't want to do the job. I've given you excuse, 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 excuse. And, Lord, I don't want to do the job. Excuses. You contrast this, the excuse of others for the sins of commission and other sins of omission. You see, you have to understand that sometimes there are people who give excuses for things they have done, and then there are people who give excuses for things they have not done. And such is the case here. How many of us look for excuses, look for things like they do here? In Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 13, the lazy man says there's a lion in the road, A fierce lion is in the streets. Or verse 16, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. 
You see, the problem is, is we're looking for excuses to get away with things. I am constantly amazed at how much time and effort people put into trying to get out of things. If they only spent just that amount of time working, they wouldn't have to be trying to deceive others. But you keep going. You remember Saul? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 11 through 13, Saul has been told to go and wait for Samuel to arrive. Then a sacrifice would be offered. But when Samuel arrives, he says, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come in the days appointed, and that the Philistines were gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. And from now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Do you see the excuses that he offers? And see what he says? Then go to chapter 15. He's been told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. It says, And Saul said to Samuel, Behold, or but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back King Agag, king of Amalek. And I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder of the sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have utterly been destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. Do you see what he does he says, I have obeyed, but the people, they're the ones who took of the plunder, and they did so to sacrifice to the Lord. You look, blaming the people because of the scattering and for the bringing back of the spoil. Blame the prophet Samuel because he didn't come at the expected time. He blamed the Philistines for pushing him to act prematurely. What do you see in Saul? You see a man who blamed God for the need for sacrifices. In all these events, Saul didn't stand up and say, Lord, I did wrong. He constantly sought for an excuse. We'll take a few minutes now. Let's go to Luke 14. Let's focus now on one particular passage, which I think offers some very valuable details. Then he said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant to supper time at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all began, all began with one accord to make excuses. And the first said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and in the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. 
For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, I want you to notice the events that led to this. You go all the way back to verse 1, and Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee for the meal. It says it happened when he came to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. They watched him closely. That tells you a lot about where he's at and who's watching him. The Lord then addressed the failure of the Pharisees, all the things that they had done. And so this is leading up to explain to them that they were wrong about several things. In verses 2 through 6, they're wrong about the Sabbath. Their idea was nothing could be done on the Sabbath day, even good. You couldn't even help someone that was in need. And then he said in verse 5, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into the pit will not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him regarding these things. You see, their views of the Sabbath were wrong. And they were wrong about the seating as well. If you look at verses 7 through 11, there were people wanting the better seats. And the ones who came, they wanted to have the best places And it says, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and to him comes to you and says, give place to this man. And then you with shame take a lowest place. You see, their idea was, I put myself up here. I elevate myself. That's where the Pharisees were. And they were wrong about the ones solicited. Who do you invite to your meals at your home? In verses 12 through 14, Then he said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, the Lord's looking at the Pharisees. And all of this, he's pointing out, you have misunderstood God's plan for you. And they're wrong about status, too. You come to the conclusion of this section in verse 15 when he says... Now, one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Their idea was is that great kingdom is coming, but they misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. And they thought about, if I can be at this meal and I can have that position of status. And Jesus goes on to explain, no, there's more to it than that. You see, the Pharisees professed love for the word of God, but they found every excuse to reject it. And that's what this parable was for, to show them, yes, they had been offered it. They said, we want it. And then when the time came, they refused it. Listen to Mark 7, verse 9. Jesus said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Here comes the commandment of God. And what do they do? They say, no, no, no. We've got another way of doing it. Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That was John the Baptist. 
Here comes John the Baptist. He says to repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. He teaches them to be baptized. What do they do? They say, no, we're not going to do the will of God for ourselves. But they had a double invitation. You see, they had an invitation at the beginning. Will you come? Well, yes, I'll come. Now the feast is prepared and they're saying, no, 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 we're, we decide we're not going to do that. That's a parallel like the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament had led them up to the coming of the kingdom, led them to appreciate all the things that God was going to offer. And now Jesus comes and brings the new covenant and what do they do? No, 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 we're not ready for it. To them, this may seem to have been a legitimate excuse. Perhaps they remembered Deuteronomy chapter 20 in verses 5 through 7, where those people who had various situations were permitted to be excused. For instance, the officer shall speak to the people and saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man marry her. You see, those sounds like those same excuses Perhaps they thought they were legitimate. But the truth is they'd already agreed to that first invitation. They'd all accepted it. And so there's no excuse. They knew what they were going to do. They knew what their plans were. They just simply did not appreciate the offer that God had offered them. Now that leads me to the third part. And that's where you start applying some of what we've learned we must own up to our own failures and our own obligations. I am responsible for the choices I make. And when I refuse or neglect to do something that God has told me to do, I am responsible for that. When God has told me not to do something and I do it, I am responsible for the choice I've made there as well. Listen to Psalm 32 verse 5. David said, I have acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Psalm 38, verse 18. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish for over my sin. David through what's called the penitential psalms, these psalms poured out his heart and said, I know what I've done. I violated God's law. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see what John says paralleling what David has said? If you and I are willing to acknowledge and accept the responsibility for our choices. But then we have to be willing to face the consequences of our own choices. 
You know, if you go to school and you tell your teacher, the dog ate my homework, or you go to the boss and you say, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late for the fifth time this week, or you say, I'm sorry I missed work yesterday, you've got to be prepared to accept the consequences of those unexcused matters. And you know, if you and I are going to stand before the God of judgment, we're going to have to answer just like those people in Luke 14 did. Have me excused, have me excused, have me excused. Do you know what happens on the day of the judgment? Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And then depart from me, you who work iniquity. Here's the problem. We have to be willing to accept the consequences of it. And the truth is God knows whether or not we had the opportunity. The excuses we may offer here on earth won't mean a thing because God knew exactly when Moses started offering his excuses, that he had a plan for everything that Moses offered. And you and I, when we stand before God on the day of judgment, will have to stand before a God who knows. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active or powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything's open. God will see every choice we have made and our ability to resist it. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And someone says, but you have to understand, I did not have a choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or to endure it. You see, God knows he's put a way there for you to do what is right. We may not always like the choices, but the truth is we have that choice. Now tonight, what is your excuse for not obeying the gospel? What choice have you made in your life that is more important than obeying the gospel? Someone might say, but you know, Tony, you've got to understand my situation in life. I have family that may not be supportive of my decision. And yes, there have been a lot of people who's had family who've not been supportive of their decisions. Well, you, you have to understand that uh, maybe I just don't know enough. What do you mean you don't know enough? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you know that your sins are going to be held to your account unless you change and repent of them? Do you have the ability to confess that Jesus is the Christ? Then why not be baptized? I think about the passage we studied a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 22. 
You're going back to verse 14 and God saying to uh, Paul through Ananias, you have got several things that God has planned for you. And then to ask the question, verse 16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And what is your excuse for not being faithful to God? What would you say to God tonight if before the invitation song is sung, invitation song is sung, if Jesus were to come and he judges you in your condition right now, and he says, why aren't you faithful? Well, Lord, I, I didn't have enough opportunity. Didn't you have one this morning? And what would you say if you let the one tonight pass by? What if the virus hits you? And what if you're one of the statistics? And you say, well, I had that opportunity on Sunday night, but I let that by, I let it by, I let it pass. What's your excuse? What would you offer to God? I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. I hope you're, this is your attitude. And I also heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Do you hear God inviting through the voice of Scripture, inviting you to become a Christian, inviting you to come and be restored to faithfulness? And are you like Isaiah? Here am I. Send me. I'm ready to go. Would you come all together? We stand and sing.